0: Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green and I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Adam Wheeler.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Since April is National Poetry Month, today we're talking about the fourth prompt in the Books and Bites Challenge, Books of Poetry or Novels in Verse. We're dividing this month's discussion into two separate episodes. Today we'll give a detailed review of one book, and then in a couple weeks we'll air another episode with some brief recommendations from each of us. This is kind of an experiment, so please let us know what you think. You can email us at podcast at jesspublib.org. So a lot of people get very nervous or uncomfortable when you suggest reading poetry, but I happen to think that they probably just haven't found the poetry that speaks to them. What do you guys think?
1: Uh, I would agree with yeah. that.
2: I mean, it takes a little bit to find what you actually like, but once you do, it's easy to pick up and put down. And what are the fastest ways to tell a story, in, in my opinion?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you'll see in our next episode and our mini bite that. I found, I came across horror poetry. That's that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's poetry for everything. There's erasure poetry and other <laughs> kind of poetry. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: and you, um, graphic poetry. I mean, poetry that is also illustrated, as you're mm-hmm. going to talk about in the next episode. That's Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we've mentioned that it also includes novels and verse, and I think that especially is, if you're, if you're unsure of poetry, I think that's a great way of easing into it, because it still feels like, it still feels like reading a novel, because there's a story, um, the poems themselves take you through an entire story, um, and that it's a very popular form in children's and YA, particularly.
2: And it feels so good to say, oh, this novel, I just read it a few hours. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> That's
1: true.
2: How <laughs> did you read that so quickly?
0: So, um, Michael, you said you had a, an anecdote about a poet. you want to yes. share that with our listeners? I, I was
1: very excited when I came across this. On um, as an article on LitHub, so apparently um, during the Romantic poem poets, uh, they used to throw shade at each other. So um, <laughs> William Wordsworth, um, back in the day, uh, Samuel Coolidge would, according to the article, would playfully refer to his own poem, "The Nightingale," as Birdsworth <laughs> and then everybody's favorite, Lord Byron. Uh, would refer to Wordsworth as turdsworth. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: that's good. I mean, you can just see the hashtags on both of those. (laughs) I think, um, you know, I think, like, um, Walt Whitman kind of started a lot of self-promotion too, that, that people don't really think of when they think of poets, you know, he self-published Leaves of Grass, and I think he used, like, I think he might have made up a blurb, I think he was one of the first writers to use a blurb, and I think it, it may have been Wordsworth, I'm not sure on, on that, um, But he, like, made up a blurb (laughs) and put it on his book.
1: (laughs) Ah,
0: (laughs) Saying that a real, you know, that that an author had said it. All those poets. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -mm
2: -mm. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it's it's pretty apt, actually, that you bring up um, shade being thrown by poets because... My book includes drag culture, Ooh.
1: which
2: might be credited with, you know, the originators of Shade, as we see <laughs> it, um, or it could have come from elsewhere before that. I
0: Excellent point. Know. Yeah.
2: Um, so, let's <laughs> jump right into that. Um, so, I chose the novel Inverse, Black Flamingo, by Dean Atta. Uh, we follow Michael and his experience growing up as a gay Greek Cypriot Jamaican boy in contemporary London. Uh, there are
0: just so many hyphens there. Yes, there's <laughs> a
2: lot going on. Um, you know, uh, part of his family's Greek. Part of his family. Uh, well, I guess. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's splitting up in a lot of ways. So part of his family is from Greece slash Cyprus. And then the other side is Jamaica. And then they're in London and he's gay. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, you you can tell he's, he's dealing with a lot. Um, I read part of this book in hard copy and then I listened to part of it on audio. uh, because I have very short attention span. Um, So the part that was the, the audio book is read by the author and I think that really makes it pack an extra emotional punch. Uh, they read it exactly as they intended it to be meant, uh, and when, when it's to poetry, novels, and verse, that kind of thing, I think that, um, tone really matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, (laughs) the story was wonderful, and having experienced the awkward, alienating life of growing up gay, uh, Michael's story was deeply relatable. While I'll never know what it's like to grow up gay and Greek, Cypriot, and Jamaican, or in London, having at least one strong connection with the main character made me feel committed. Um, the Highly unadvisable life choices in youth. um, If anyone's not aware, forcing kids to only live their lives on the edges of correct society with no relatable mentors means that they're basically having to guess their way through life. Doesn't mean that they're bad kids. But that's, that's, that's what I meant by uh, inadvisable life choices. Uh, to the isolating realization that you're different, to the joy of embracing yourself, society be damned. Hopefully I can say that. Um, <laughs> Black Flamingo was an emotional roller coaster that I'm ready to hop back in line for. Speaking more to the plot, we start learning about Michael's early childhood when he was a single child to a single mother. Their relationship was strong and she treated Michael the way he wanted to be treated, uh, allowing feminine activities and toys without any visible judgment. As Michael grows older and his little sister enters the picture, his relationship with his mother, who is exhausted, but trying her best becomes more strained. Michael deals with the normal growing pains, the added stress of living in a single parent household, but he also starts awakening to the ways he's different. His classmate, His classmates seem to know uh, something about him that even he hasn't quite realized. He experiences the way uh, race affects how he's treated. He can't communicate directly with his greek cypriot family due to language barriers. And he doesn't feel connected to his Jamaican family because of the way LGBT people uh, are ostracized in Jamaican society. Um, A defining moment comes while Michael spies a news story about an extremely rare black flamingo and therein identifies as the elegant bird that sticks out like a sore thumb in the crowd of pink flamingos. Uh, When he eventually moves on to college, he zeroes in on a student drag group where he fully embraces who he is and who he wants to be. Meanwhile, he is immersed in a landscape of casual racisms, microaggressions, and, as happens throughout the book, the understanding that people can oftentimes be terrible, sometimes without even realizing it, but they are all capable of growth if they care enough to put in the work. I think Black Flamingo would be well accompanied by Mahalepi, a cool, firm, Cyprian pudding made by a cookie, a mix of water and cornstarch. Uh, this is to make the Mahalepi part which is then chilled and sprinkled with sugar, rose water and rose syrup. Um, if you want to feel like uh, mixing it up, I'm sure you can change the flavors. You might choose to opt for Jamaican flavors instead, like almond passion fruit or pineapple. Um, if you really want to be extra, (laughs) this is a long way to go, but you could add black food coloring to the Mahalabi prior to cooking. Um, Deep that is black very extra. It is very extra, but deep black pudding, swimming, in pink rose syrup definitely sounds picturesque for black flamingo, um, if not with a very strong taste of food coloring. Um, <laughs> y'all are smarter than me. I'm sure you can come up with something wonderful and creative. Uh, whatever you decide to do, the recipe can be found on A to Z World Foods, a database available through JCPL with your library card.
0: That book sounds really good, Adam. And did you say it was in... What section did you say it was in?
2: Uh, it, is, it is a YA book. Okay, me, that's
0: what I thought. Uh, My first book is Deaf Republic by Ilya Kaminsky. Deaf Republic is an award-winning parable in poems that is organized like a play in two acts. Though the time, country, and war are unnamed, we do know that the book takes place in the occupied town of Visenka. In the second poem, the town is watching an outdoor puppet show when soldiers sweep in, telling the crowd to disperse. Everyone does as they're told except Pecha, a deaf boy who is shot dead for spitting at a soldier. The boy's death sparks an insurgency of deafness. Quote, our country woke up the next morning, Kaminsky writes, and refused to hear soldiers, unquote. For the town of Vysenka, deafness is a choice. It holds power. It is not the lack that society often thinks it is. Kaminsky, who is originally from Odessa, in what is now Ukraine, is hard of hearing himself. He went deaf at the age of four after being sick with the mumps and did not hear again until his family emigrated to America in 1993 when he was 16. Quote, the deaf do not believe in silence, Kaminsky writes in the notes at the end of the book. Silence is the invention of the hearing, unquote. Puppeteers Alfonso and his wife Sonia, who is Pecha's cousin, surreptitiously teach the town to sign. Illustrations of these signs are scattered throughout the book, and one of the last poems is composed of four signed images. The town's collective deafness escalates the soldiers' actions against them. Townspeople are arrested and executed. The puppeteers themselves, inspired by Mama Gallia, the owner of the puppet theater, kill soldiers in return. All of these tales of atrocities could easily overwhelm the reader, but Kaminsky makes room for moments of joy, especially in the love poems written from Alfonso to Sonia, and in poems that celebrate the birth of their first child. Quote, you step out of the shower and the entire nation calms, says Alfonso in one love poem. A drop of lemon egg shampoo, you smell like bees. Unquote. Though Kaminsky has written elsewhere of the persecutions his Jewish Ukrainian family faced during the Holocaust and before they immigrated, the book's opening and closing poems make it clear that the events described could just as easily happen in America. Kaminsky writes, quote, Ours is a country in which a boy shot by police lies on the pavement for hours. Unquote. Deaf Republic is one of those books best read all in one sitting. It's lyrical, spare, and wise, but also engaging and suspenseful. It is, as poet Lee Young Lee writes, quote, a book of wonders, unquote. As you can imagine, there is not much discussion of food in this wartime book, but there are several mentions of vodka. In one poem, Alfonso bites a hole into an apple and drinks vodka from it. In another, he, quote, cracks a raw egg in a cup, Smells a trickle of oranges in the snow, and he tosses the egg down his throat like a vodka shot. According to the book, The New Ukrainian Cookbook, which is available on Hoopla, vodka is the country's alcohol of choice, always served at room temperature rather than chilled. (sighs) (laughs) I know, we have strong feelings about this. Ukrainians often steep their vodka in fruit and spices to make orange-flavored vodka. All you need is a bottle of Ukrainian vodka and the zest of two oranges infuse at room temperature for four hours. And, uh, you know, if you're going to drink your vodka warm, you probably want to flavor it up with some (laughs) some fruit and spices.
2: (laughs) This might be an... Ignorant question, but is room temperature there colder than it is here?
0: <laughs> That's a good question.
2: Because <laughs> that sounds Books and nasty. Bites.
0: Books and bites, listeners. I really wish you could see the expression on Adam's face <laughs> <laughs> right now.
2: Warm vodka just brings back stories that I can't tell here.
0: <sighs>
2: no, thank you. Mm-mm.
1: I feel like I did that. A recipe similar to that. For one of my books, I think it was The Night Witches when we did graphic novels last year.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I,
1: did I do it, a vodka-infused one? I'm not sure if I chose that, but I remember coming across that. Mm-hmm. It's not, it sounds pretty good to me. I'm not going <laughs> to lie.
0: Um. Yeah, I'm really not a vodka drinker, um, and I think part of that is vodka doesn't really taste like anything, so, um, you know, this probably makes it a lot better, <laughs> and um, there's another great cookbook that we have called Mamushka um, that has recipes from Ukraine and Eastern Europe, and it's one of those cookbooks that has all these incredible photos and, um, has...
1: Yes, I, I use that for my, uh, bite last time. It's, that's a, Oh
0: yeah. Okay.
1: It was an awesome cookbook.
0: I think Melissa has talked about it too. Um, yeah, it, it had a lot of really looking, really delicious looking, um, beet salads and
1: uh, <laughs> i don't know about beets i'm not sure if delicious
2: and beets go in the same <laughs> oh, sentence yes definitely
0: me. they are uh, an acquired taste for sure i didn't used to like beets but um mm. but i love them now and um i think i may have to try some of those beet salads
2: definitely not my favorite root vegetable but i guess You can expect them to uh, turn up every once in a
1: while.
0: (laughs) And we'll end on an Adam pun (laughs) once again.
1: (laughs) So for something totally different, my suggestion this month is the Virginia State Colony for Epileptics and Feeble-Minded, poems by Molly McCully Brown. This poetry collection is about the aforementioned real-life Appalachian House of Horrors that I first learned of just a few years ago when I read Elizabeth Katz' What You Are Getting Wrong About Appalachia. Soon after reading it, uh, Carrie and I were discussing it one day, and uh, she led me to this uh, poetry collection. So a very basic history, It was a state-run hospital that opened in Virginia in 1910, where the doctors were eugenicists, sterilizing people who were deemed defective without their consent. Also in a move to make the Shenandoah Valley a national park, people were evicted from their homes and land and committed to the colony. It was an awfully dark and one of the many mostly forgotten stains on U.S. history. Uh, In this collection, Brown truly is able to capture the pain and horror that people Sent there endured while they try to hold on to their sense of self and convey that through her heartbreakingly beautiful poetry. Brown takes you through several locations in the colony, such as the dormitory, infirmary, and what they called the blind room over the course of a year. The poems offers perspectives from patients, nurses, and even a preacher. Uh, you feel the desperation and pain the patient suffered, being shut up in a dormitory or locked and tied up in the quote-unquote blind room if they suspected you of being a flight risk. While at the same time, you glimpse the pity and otherness the nurses and preacher felt towards the patients, viewing them as effective and less than. The collection really brought it home and left me feeling heartbroken with the faux sterilization forms replete with fictional patients and diagnoses. Each one is followed by a poem about the patient's experience, usually where they were lied to until they were getting an epidectomy. Her poem, The Cleaving, captures the tragedies people experience and the acts perpetrated on them. Quote, they will say you need an epidectomy. Only after will you have a sense that this is not what happened. It had nothing to do with your brain or the water or the rattling or your pain. I remember this day as the day I was cleaved from my body. Whatever they did, I am the silt that slips between your fingers when you dredge for the bright things at the bottom of the pond. Unquote. This collection of poetry is available in our adult, adult nonfiction section. And also, if you're interested more on this topic, Elizabeth Cat just released a book called Pure America, Eugenics and the Making of Modern Virginia. And that is currently available through Hoopla Digital.
2: God, that's depressing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds really good, but oh, my God. I, yeah, when I read uh, Elizabeth's Cat's What You're Getting Wrong by Appalachia, came across that section, I was like, this really happened? But then you think about, you know, things that happened, like the Tuskegee experiments and other little things that just are kept kind of quiet and not really talked about or taught in U.S. history, it's not really so surprising anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, for the pairing... I went back to a cookbook I've used multiple times, and you're probably sick of hearing me talk about how great it is. <laughs> but if you're pairing a book in Appalachia, you almost have to use Ronnie Lundy's Vittles. This time, I chose the Chili Bun Chili Recipe. Not to be f- confused with a Chili Dog, a Chili Bun is pretty much what you think a chili on a hot dog bun. <laughs> <laughs> According to the book, Chili buns seem to have popped up in the pool halls of southeastern Kentucky around the Depression era. It calls for a cup of flat beer, ground beef, a garlic clove, saltine crackers, along with cinnamon, cumin, cayenne, or red chili. It was easy to make, and it was delicious. And It would also make a fantastic chili or a slaw dog as well.
2: So. Now, that does sound good, but I, I'm wondering what the motivation for choosing that was. Was it... Like, Asylum Cafeteria?
1: Or? Well, I did not connect it that way. Uh, since the book was set in Appalachia, I used a recipe from the region.
2: Okay, gotcha.
1: So. Gotcha.
2: Because, I mean, chili on a, on a hot dog bun sounds like something yeah. they'd serve in a... It, uh, it does. I yeah. You're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but I think... After reading that book, um, which I, I, I think I have talked about that book on books and bites before. I think when I was, I think I paired it with, um, Elizabeth cat's book. Um, but I think after reading it, you deserve a, a chili bun. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) Maybe two. I mean,
0: (laughs) and, um, Molly McCulley-Brown, I don't know if you mentioned this, but she also is a poet with a disability. Yeah. So, um, we have... Um, it's kind of cool that we both featured poets with disabilities on this episode. Yeah. yeah. I think poetry, um, in general, you know, people talk about... And certainly, there's still a lot of inequality in poetry as well, but... I think it is um, one of the areas in publishing where people have tried to be more inclusive. Um, so I don't know. There's another. There's another reason to try reading poetry. And Adam's yeah. Adam's book was also an example of that.
1: It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's like poetry. This is it's more cathartic and it you know very more emotional than maybe just your. Typical, you know, narrative Mm -hmm. Or book So I found that pretty interesting Mm
2: -hmm. I think it seems like a safer way To communicate about some really difficult topics And have people still be receptive to it Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah Especially since it's a shorter format (laughs) Yeah, like Savannah Sipples was just like Really personal But like she, you know, was enabled to express that You know with her poetry mm-hmm. that awesome
0: awesome well um, tune in to our next episode while we're, where we'll have some more options and I think we talk about some slightly lighter topics in our next episode <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I
2: think we need to yeah,
0: yeah. so um, if you're um, if you're not down for our serious, um, subjects. You might find something, a book that you'll like in the next episode. Um, anyway, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to turn in your entry form, um, for the Books and Bites Challenge. For more information about the podcast or the Books and Bites Challenge, visit our website at jesspublib.org books hyphen our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Witten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com.